This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, concerns, ideas, or whatever. And Alex will be answering the phone and all he needs is your first name and where you're calling from. He doesn't really care what you're calling about. (laughs) <laughs> he does care, but he doesn't care as far as needing that information himself. Saturday mornings, wow, great. Roundtable discussion. Uh, what's impacting your backyard, your front yard, your side yard, your specialty garden space? Uh, how are those houseplants doing since you put them outside? I, <laughs> I saw a palm tree that somebody set outside, and they put it in direct sun. It was sunburnt. And uh, what is potting mixes? I had actually a question uh, sent me email-wise, a lady wanted to you know, grow some things in pots, and she said, what's the difference between potting mix and potting soil? So I explained to her how to improve your soil so you can get good drainage and have a good, healthy soil. How about the shearing and pruning this time of year? Don't do it because you can cause some sunburn on the remaining foliage that's exposed. And uh, bugs, oh, they're really starting to get out there, and diseases as well. Use the information that I share with you, and uh, you can make you this, the decisions are obviously yours. So hopefully it'll help solidify, or you'll go, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about, and I don't care. I'm going to do it this way. And that's fine. It's up to you. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home car, wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player, as I said before, is Alex. He's the producer answering the phone and all kinds of other things as well. By the way, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994, and I can come to your home and do landscape consultations, which I call walk and talks. And consequently, uh, you can go to my website at mikemillerdesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number. Email is probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Phones, sometimes it's like ping pong, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. But anyway... Let's get moving, and today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. Oh, and by the way, uh, walk and talk today after the show, first Kirkwood and then Melville. And this past week on Wednesday, I was in Weldon Springs, kind of a cool area. All the the neighborhood was well, well developed. Guinevere and Galahad and all kinds of really fancy, smancy names are on the streets. Well, as I turned, I was surprised. Oh, 
The parks are open. Well, the first thing you pass is at tennis courts. And then multiple ball fields. I parked near a fresh pile of wood chips. The area was designated dog park by permit. Welcome, Leash Lus in St. Louis, Southwest City Dog Park. This is in Wilmore Park. It's right, it basically is parallel to the River De Pere on the, let's see, would that be the north side of River De Pere or would that be, yes, it would be. And uh, enclosed the dog park with metal fencing, which runs, it looks good. And uh, right outside, there's two really good-sized catalpa trees, and they have so many, let's say, as we call them, lady cigars when we were kids. Why we call them that, I don't have any idea. They were dangling in evidence of earlier white flowers. Planting along the entrance, there's uh, some yellow-orange daylilies there. A sign reminds, please do not walk in the garden and keep your dog out as well. Liriope with dark green foliage really looked nice. A plot of iris, well, they uh, look good foliage-wise, not turning brown yet, but they had their flowers showing earlier. There's some woodland ferns, and there's a at the edge of a burning bush sitting there, two different varieties of hosta, some more liriope, and there is a hydrangea. This hydrangea doesn't look so good, so it should probably be uh, checked out. And snuggling with some ewes, which are right next to the burning bush, uh, on the opposite on those are more hostas and everything else. It's, it really is kind of an interesting combination of plant material going into a dog park. On the opposite side of the gate, there's some more iris, some blooming hydrangea, Stella de Oro daylilies. There's a pair of Alberta spruce, well-budded sunflowers just waiting to explode. There's also some, uh, guess what, hardy hibiscus waiting to explode as well. There's a cross the fence along River de Pere, a group of Canada geese. They just flew in and were having breakfast. I'm not exactly sure what they were eating, but uh, they were enjoying it. And uh, there was some liatris along there. There's some pencil boxwood. As I said before, there's a hardy hibiscus. And three bunches of purple coneflowers. That's the end of the garden where it kind of runs in the fence that runs along River de Pere. And uh, somebody recently had done some care and maintenance because they pulled some weeds out, some cut off some, uh, let's say, finished foliage, and it was kind of laying there. I guess they're waiting for the mower to come along and uh, guess what? Chop it up and turn it into organic materials. And uh, an alternative, there's three different gates that you can go into. You go into the main gate, and then you can go left, you can go straight, or you can go right. At this dog park, if you go right, you can take your dog in there and wash it, which I've never paid you know paid attention to if dog parks have a place to wash your dog. But it says water with no soap, please. And though there was no dogs there today, the area was barkingly fun to view. I can imagine what it's like because this is a huge dog park. Some of them are, are nice and everything else, but this is the biggest one I have ever seen. So why don't we take a call before we take a break? And let's go to Mark's yard. Hi, Mark. How are you? Good. How are you? Very good. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, uh, my wife's got some potted hibiscus. It's um, on our deck, and it's the kind that uh, has a long stem, and I think there may be a plant or two together, and they're, like, twisted up, and then they got, a like, a ball or, or so at the top. It's not really a ball, but it's blooming at the top. Anyway, the leaves are... Like turning yellow, 
and um, she did see some little mites or lice or some sort of little bugs on one of them. But a couple of them, the leaves are turning yellow. They're out there in full sun. She waters them like twice a day. Um, not sure what's going on there. Too much water, you know, that, that might be the problem. But historically, this time of year, where it's a twisted, whether it's a twisted trunk hibiscus, regular hibiscus, or anything else, I've had several emails this past week about people whose hibiscus are dropping foliage. Usually it's going to be the interior foliage, and that's just sort of the natural growth process as the plants are outside. So I wouldn't be overly concerned with it. If she saw some kind of insect there, that's not what, that's it more than likely is not what's causing the yellowing of the foliage. Okay, so I heard you say too much water. Yeah, she doesn't need to water twice a day. Basically, you know, just tell her to look at the inside of the pot. And when the potting mix starts shrinking away and you can see a gap between the inside of the pot and the potting mix, then she needs to water thoroughly at that time. But twice a day okay. is a little bit too much. All right. And you think that may be causing the leaves turn yellow? Well, not necessarily, because like I said, I've had several emails this past week with people experiencing the hibiscus leaf drop. And yellowing is, you know, the occurrence of that. So I think it may be contributing a little bit, but it's not the cause by any means. Okay. All right. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. And let's see if we can get Rick in before we take a break. Rick, how are you today? Hey, Mike. I'm good. Hey, I'm with the Madison County Soil and Water Conservation District, and I just wanted to shed a little light on this dust storm that's coming across the country. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it's really not dust. It's soil particles. Um, dust is what you wipe off off your furniture in the wintertime with a rag. But these are soil particles. They're actually the size of silt. Now, silt particles are about the consistency of brown talcum powder. It, and silt, the definition of silt is actually a soil particle size. And this, these, these silt particles that are suspended are that particle size. When you think of the Sahara Desert, you usually think of these big, gigantic sand dunes. And the wind blows these sand dunes into these. Um, forms over there, but the sand particles are way too big and way too heavy right. to move by the wind. And so the the finer textured silt particles are picked up by the wind, they're blown across the ocean, and they, they settle out here. So the wind is actually sorting them. It's kind of <laughs> similar to what happened in the 1930s in the U.S. with the Great Dust Bowl on the Great Plains. It's the same conditions. Um, wind picked up the silt particles and blew it all around. And um, cause these these problems so uh it, it shouldn't be called the dust storm it's a silt storm <laughs> well great well thanks for the insight that's perfect so people don't need to necessarily be worried about this whole thing other than like protecting themselves from inhaling or anything along that line correct yeah correct um the the silt it, it might form a little layer of dust on your dust or, or silt on your plants right. but if you water it and rain it'll wash it away. Might add one more thing in Madison County most of the soils here are primarily con, um, composed of silt. Right. People call it cl clay soils and they have a lot of clay in them. But if you break down the particle size, they're mostly silt, and clay particles are even smaller. So adding a, another layer of silt to it really doesn't do any harm so it's, it's not a bad thing there's no chemicals in there it's not acidic or anything like right. that well great well thanks for the insight and my myself personally when i was in the air force at march air force base in, you know in riverside california there's i mean the desert's right there too and we had some dust storms you know a couple times just like this only not dust obviously silt there as well so thank you i greatly appreciate your information yes sir mike talk to you later okay Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We have some lines open, so if you'd like to call. Uh, One thing, though, uh, water. Your plants, your lawn, your trees, your shrubs, everything is, you know, probably fairly dry. So just watch out. The neat thing is, too, you know, if you water right before it rains, it's actually perfect because your watering has softened the ground. So then the rainwater can penetrate deeper because if the water that you put down, like running just for a few, let's say 15 or 20 minutes, an irrigation system or a sprinkler, that doesn't do any good. Because most of the water actually evaporates before it gets, you know, penetrates down in the soil. And if you do it that way, just go out right after you finish watering for 15 or 20 minutes and take a hand trowel or something and just dig down a little bit and see how far down the water has gone. If it hasn't gone down multiple inches, then it's absolutely doing no good at all and actually causing more problems because it's keeping a lot of the plant material root surfaces or roots on the surface, and that makes it a lot more prone to the weather circumstance. So let's see, where do we need to go? Let's go out to Fenton and go into Vince's yard. Hi, Vince. Yeah, Mike, how you doing? Very I good. listen to you every Saturday morning, and uh, and so I have time to think about what you talk. Um, every year around in the fall, what I normally would do is throw out new seed, and if there are any weeds, I use a weed and feed spray on, and I take care of them. But I always hear about you talking about putting pre-emergent down in August, uh, and I wondered why that would be better than what I've been doing. Well, you're, you're, I mean, a weed and feed kills, let's say, perennial-type weeds, broadleaf weeds that are actually growing. What there is is a whole series of cool season annual weeds that germinate in August, and that's what the pre-emergent is killing. Oh, uh-huh. and the weed and feed wouldn't kill it. No, unless they're unless they're actually up and germinating. But what the pre-emergent does is kill them as the, at the point of germination. Well, so I, I mean, I wait until like September, October. Wouldn't they have come up by then? Yes, they would definitely. Because the thing about it is when putting down pre-emergent, obviously that kind of nixes my new seed. Right, it uh, certainly does. But the annual cool season weeds that emerge in late August is like henbit, chickweed, annual bluegrass, prickly lettuce, you know, those type shepherd's purse. So that's what you're trying to get rid of. But, uh, you know, the, the weed and feed will not kill the annual bluegrass. Because that's a grass, and you know, weed and feeds only kill broadleaf weeds or broadleaf plants. Let's put it. Well, that. I have a fescue lawn, so I don't know if that makes any difference. No, not really. Uh-huh. But um, so uh, if what? if you're happy with the way your lawn looks, just tell Mike Miller to go to it. No, no, no. I would never do that. I was just curious. <laughs> I was just curious as to whether or not I should change my, try to put down pre-emergent. And you'd use the same pre-emergent that you use in the spring, right? Yes, exactly, because there's two different systems of, you know, weeds. Uh, As far as annual weeds, one's warm season. They basically are exploding right now. In the cool season, they've basically all died off, you know, whether, Uh you know, just through, because of the temperatures. Uh, One more, one another question, Mike. Uh, uh, I hear you tell, told someone last last uh, week that they he, they took out a tree and they wanted to put down a lawn, and you told them they, they couldn't do it. Uh, I want to let you know I kind of did that. Last April, I uh, raked out 
after they took out our redbud tree and and t- ground out the stump, mm-hmm. I raked out all the uh, the wood, and then I put down a bunch of uh, compost that black that black gold, and then I put down a bunch of fescue sod, and uh, it's, I'm in the second summer. It still looks fine. Well, that's uh, you know that's great. Redbud trees have relatively small trunks. You know, the person I told, they had a large, like it was an oak or something with a huge, you know, huge trunk. So that's going to be the difference. So, I mean, that's great that you had great success. And uh, I, you know, I still don't recommend doing it just for the most part. But uh, you've had good success with two things that I say don't do. Well, I I did dig out as many of the surface roots as I could before I put down down anything. But it seems to be doing well and it's not settling. So, Well, perfect. Okay, thank you. Sure. And that's uh, Vince from Fenton. Now let's go to Dan's yard. Hi, Dan. Hi there. How are you guys? Very good. So I have a few questions. Hopefully they'll be quick. So um, we're moving into a house that has a sprinkler system, and I'm not sure how often that should be set to water. So that was one. And then when I cut the grass, uh, how tall should it be at this time of the year? And then should I bag it or just just mulch it down? Um, and then the last one was we had a roof put on, um, and they put tarps down, and it looks like some of the bushes are dying. Ooh. I'm assuming it's because of the tarp held the heat in, but maybe you could answer that. Yeah, it could be a result, uh, you know, the physical, let's say, nuss of the tarp on top of them. So it may kill them. It may just, you know, aesthetically kill them. They may recover from a standpoint of being alive. Irrigation system-wise, uh, less often rather than running it every day, maybe every three days for longer periods of time. So every three days for like 45 minutes or so would be the way I would do it as opposed to every day for 15 minutes, which would equal a total of 45 minutes in three days. So, And I can't remember what your third question was. Oh, how tall should the grass be cut? And should I bag it? Uh, what kind of grass is it? Bluegrass. Uh, I would probably cut it about three and a half inches. Okay. And would you bag it or just mulch it? Um, if you've got a mulching mower, you can just go ahead and mulch it. If you've got, uh, if you don't have a mulching mower, you just have a regular mower, then bag it. Okay. Thanks for your help. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's head out to Chesterfield and go into Pam's yard. Hi, Pam. Hi, Mike. Um, I have a question. We have a, a small hydrangea tree that. We would like to move to a different spot just because it's overhanging some of the other bushes. Um, would the fall be a good time to do that, and how do we actually go about doing it? Basically, what you want to do is about a day or two before you're going to move it, water the area really well. I don't know how. Go out about a, almost, let's say, 18 inches to 2 feet and cut the. That's where the root ball is going to be. So you're going to go down one spade deep. And go down that deep and probably, I wouldn't do it too early in the fall, but fall is probably the best time to do it for transplanting because the ground is warm and then that will encourage root system growth. And then your hydrangea gets to go to sleep for the winter time as opposed to doing it in the spring. Okay. And then uh, the spot that we're going to put it in, dig down, um, um, what, about 18 inches or so? No, just make sure the top of the root ball is above the surrounding ground. Okay. So you want the hole three times the diameter, but only about 80% as deep. And then put okay. about two to three inches of mulch around it and uh, try to keep as much mulch away from the actual trunk as you possibly can. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Sure. She must uh, have birds. 
<laughs> I kept hearing twittering. Uh, let's see. Where do we need to go? How about Steve's yard? Hi, Steve. Yeah. Uh, I have a umbrella pine. Would that be get too big to put next to the foundation? Uh, is this a hardy variety? It's just just a regular umbrella pine, I think. Uh, Schiadopitus verticulata. Uh, I would say, hmm, umbrella pine. I don't know if that's going to be a hardy variety for this region. I mean, you could give it a try if you want to. But now, what was your question you know, I, in relationship to planting it? Would it? Would it? Do you think that would get too big to uh, put alongside the foundation of a house? Yes, definitely. Anything I don't recommend putting anything you know within ten feet of a foundation of a house, regardless, because it becomes problematic from the standpoint the backside. As let's say this thing, you know, that Mike Miller doesn't know what he's talking about, and this turned out to be you know hardy and everything else. So consequently. The back side of it, which is next to the house, is not going to get enough light, and it's going to drop its needles, and it's not going to look very good. And so then it's just, you know, it's not really good. So you want to put it out so it's going to get full exposure to the sun as much as possible. Okay. I didn't know. I guess they get pretty good root ball on them, too, probably, huh? Well, I mean, it uh, depends upon how big it's going to be. But, yeah. Uh, you know, there are, any plant is going to have problem. You know, f- problems when you plant it too close, as far as the root systems pushing on the foundation a little bit, and especially if there's a fissure or a crack in the foundation that may be slight, it could increase the width of the crack. But uh, that's why, another reason why I don't like to plant close to foundations. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and I'm assuming this. Uh, you know. I'm not sure if this umbrella pine may be a Tanyosho pine, what I would call. But uh, anyway, yeah, keep it away from your house. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Talk about welcome back. Welcome back, the Cardinals. Thank goodness. And let's head out to Baldwin and go into Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. Go ahead. Question for you. I've got two questions. Number one, I bought a bird of paradise from, uh, I think it was Lowe's or Tom uh, Depot, one of them. And there's some dahlias that are around it. It gets about four to six hours of morning sun uh, from the sunrise to about, I don't know, maybe one or two o'clock in the afternoon. The thing is starting to burn, I think. Uh, the leaves curl up, and I was wondering if I watered more, so I take it out of the sun. As a tropical plant, I thought this should uh, get a lot of sunlight. The other question I have for you is I have about eight azalea bushes that I want to plant uh, in the backyard. It's going to get probably, I don't know, uh, maybe six hours. And um, so I, I bought these bushes, and I want to put them out. I want to know how do I prepare the ground uh, so that it'll accept these uh, bushes. Thanks. Basically, with the azaleas, they need acidic soil and they need highly organic soil. So compost and peat moss mixed in create a raised bed. So you want to add enough to make that bed that you're going to plant them in about three or four inches higher than the surrounding ground, whether it's lawn or whatever it happens to be. Realize that over time, you know, and probably I wouldn't have any problems about, you know, putting some iron sulfate in the ground as well. 
So no fertilizer or anything else. Just improve the soils. That's the best thing you can possibly do. Bird of paradise, if the leaves are curling up in the heat of the day, that's something that they're naturally going to do. But I'd get it out of that much sun, probably. Maybe some morning sun is all it needs in, you know, with this situation with the sun being so intense. So maybe sun from, let's say, sunrise, which is around 6 in the morning up until noon, and not too much sun after that. Okay. So compost, you said uh, the roof ball should be two to three inches above the ground? Yes, right, exactly. And then you're going to mound, you know, put, then you're going to cover the top of the root ball with mulch. But don't push, don't push it up right next to the, let's say, the stems coming up out of the ground for the azaleas. Give them a little, bit, a, okay. bit, a little bit of breathing room. Okay, so how wide should I dig the, uh, the hole? Three times the diameter of the root ball. Three times the diameter of the root ball. Okay. Wow. That's pretty big. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, that just makes it, I mean, the lateral growth is what, that's where the feeder roots are. That makes it much easier for the feeder roots. And depending upon your soil, even if you improve it, if you don't dig the hole big enough, sometimes the roots, you know, are just kind of jammed up by the fact the hole is just, let's say, the same size as the root ball is right now, and it can't push out new growth. Okay, question for you. They look like they're in some kind of a sack thing. Should I cut that away? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. So yeah, you don't you know even if it's breathable, even if it's landscape fabric or anything else, you know, don't do that. And I mean, planting this time of year is not ideal. This is like no, probably the worst time of year that you could be planting azaleas. Yeah. So how much water should I give them? Uh, probably initially, maybe every day for the first, let's say, seven to ten days after you put them in. Then after that, just you know, kind of monitor. You don't want to overwater. And make sure that they get about an inch of water per week. Okay. An inch of water per week. Right. I do. Thanks for having so, me on your show. It's a great resource. Well, great. Well, thanks for having me on your show. It's not my show. So, anyway, thanks, Mike. And now let's go to, uh, oh, Helen. Hi, Helen. How are you? Hi. Hi. How are you? Very good. I'm calling about my tomato plants. Every year I have wonderful tomato pl- tomatoes and tomato plants. I have enough to give everybody. But this year, for some reason, the, they're not growing too well. They're only a couple of feet, and they, the leaves are all curled. They Ooh. almost look like they're deformed or something. Ooh. And you're doing everything that you normally do? Everything we normally do. I mean, last year we, my husband was sick, so we only, I only planted one, and that one plant grew to about seven feet tall. I'm not kidding you. We were giving tomatoes to everybody. (laughs) But this year, but this year they're curled up, and I don't know what to do. I don't know what's wrong. Uh, Tomatoes need a lot of water, so I'm assuming you're watering them almost on a daily basis. Every day, okay. in the evening, after the, you know, so the sun's not too hot, you know. Well, I'd water them early in the morning. So Early in the morning. Yeah. And okay. also, you're fertilizing them, correct? Yeah. Okay, so you, and you're using tomato food. No, I don't, I've, I have never, ever used tomato food. That's why I didn't use it this year, because I, I get so many tomatoes all the time that I don't usually, you know, do that right well i would go ahead since you're not having good luck with them right now go get some tomato food okay and feed them with that you can get them you know by miracle grow just mix it up in a bucket of water and pour it around each plant 
and probably okay, fertilizing every, every two to three weeks. Two to three weeks. Right. Okay. Because, I mean, we're just city people, and we just have a, you know, a little garden here and there, you know. But we have a lot of stuff. But, um, uh, you know, it's just this year is just not doing really well. Well, so, you know, some people are not having great success this year with the tomatoes just in general. Because as I walk around my neighborhood, there's a couple houses that, uh, you know, I watch their tomatoes. And some of them are having, were having really good growth of the tomatoes, but they weren't getting any kind of, let's say, fruit, tomato fruit set. And yeah. another one, well, just the, critter- the tomato plants look like they're, you know, stunted. Yeah. So, well, uh, the critter always, we, and we plant early girls we pl- I, because I like my tomatoes early. Early I mean, in the season? I have already had a tomato. Oh, really? But the critter's got it. Yeah, but the critter got it. So, but that's okay. <laughs> you right. know? But yeah, I like my early girls because I like them early, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, I just am just so upset over my, no, everything else is doing fine. Well, that's we've great. We've already eaten, we've already had broccoli, and we have a couple little teeny cucumbers, and um, our cantaloupes are starting to take over. Well, maybe it was, you know the early girl wasn't a you know really good one for this time of year. Maybe get, you know get rid of a couple of the early girls and go get some a different variety of tomato. Put them in and see what happens. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Sure. And again, do the tomato food. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. How do you pronounce that name? Mariella. Oh, Mariella, how are you today? Sorry. Hello, Mariella? Yep. Mariella. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Hi. um, My mother has an old-fashioned lilac shrub, and it's probably about 40 years old since she planted it. Mm -hmm. And over the years, it got overtaken by a honeysuckle shrub, so I cut it out. And it's pretty spindly, and the leaves on the honeysuckle, I mean, on the lilac shrub are pretty healthy. And it did bloom a little bit this year and a little bit last year. So I heard you say don't prune anything this time of year. So how can I get this shrub Whip back in shape. <laughs> a 40-year-old lilac to try to get it in shape well, after it's been... The root system, the honey yeah. suckle, is still there if you just cut it off. Right. So it's still competing you know, for the mm-hmm. nutrients and everything else. So it's. Uh, I wouldn't expect a whole lot out of it. So probably what okay. you should do is just leave it alone. Next year, right after it flowers, go ahead and prune it at that time. And what I would do is take out the largest trunks... You know, I don't know how many trunks are coming up out of the ground and mm-hmm. uh, get rid of like at least one third of the largest trunks and then see what happens as a result of that. But a 40 year old shrub is okay. probably kind of on the downhill side of its life. Yeah, it, it didn't get a lot of sun for several years. So, um, but, well, you know, the, the honeysuckle shrub just right. kind of overtook everything, right. but I did get it cut out. But I know the root system is still there. So, okay, so don't touch it this year and then next year try to prune right. it. Right, because it's setting it's a flower, you know, it's right now it's setting flower buds for next spring. Yeah. So if mm-hmm. you start pruning, then you're not going to get any flowers at all. Okay, should I fertilize at all or just wait or put compost down next spring? Or? Uh, just compost on top of the ground really doesn't do all that much good. Uh, lilac's like a you know, alkaline soil, That's so alkaline. okay. So I mean, a little bit of lime in the fall, watered in, and uh, and puts you know 
Just a little bit of mulch, one or two inches of mulch, and that's all I do. Okay. All right. Okay. Thanks so much. Sure. Appreciate it. And then next spring, as the foliage starts coming out, then you can start doing some fertilizing with just a regular tree and shrub food. And now let's go to Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. How are you? Very good. Good. I own a bubble tile scorching over here in Illinois. And what I experienced is up by a resident's handrail or their siding or their shutters, they get these little black dots. And I heard that that is some kind of a fungus from mulch. Exactly. It's called shotgun. And how exactly does that work? Well, basically what it is, it comes in with the mulch. So the mulch hasn't been properly composted, so it has a shotgun fungus. And actually it shoots. You know, so, I mean, you can't be out there and hear it or anything else, but that's exactly what's happening. Well, it's a real booger to get off. That's you aren't sure. kidding. So whatever kind of mulch you're using or whatever kind of mulch they're using, just make sure not to use that type again because it's coming in with the mulch. Gotcha. Second question, transplanting bamboo. Ooh. What's the trick there? Basically, you want to get the rhizome. You don't need a whole lot. When I worked at the botanical garden, I dug up some uh, of the bamboo from the botanical garden because they had to, you know, let's say control the size. Took it to my parents. I got three, probably like 15-inch sections of root, and I didn't have any above-ground growth at all. And basically what I did is planted in my parents' yard, and then in a few years it became a neighborhood nightmare. In what way? Uh, just so aggressive and invasive. It took about three years before it started taking off, but it was sending out all kinds of underground rhizomes and then started popping up all over the place. Huh. So bamboo is a good idea or a bad idea? Well, it all depends on you. It's very invasive and aggressive, so that's you know the problem. My father hated it. My mother loved it because the birds liked it. And the neighbors, you know, even though we had a big yard in Ellisville, it started, you know, going underneath fences and other things like that and coming up in the neighbor's yard. Yeah, it seems like the ultimate uh, privacy fence. <laughs> True. Really, right. if if you could control it. Right. And it's pretty... But, that, but that's the tough part, huh? Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, huh. I, even, uh, I had a client that really wanted a bad, so what we did is we basically did a swimming pool not a you know deep swimming pool, but about eighteen inches of concrete and uh, you know walls to keep it confined, and it actually did pretty well for about uh, ten to twelve years, and then after that it did start going up underneath, you know, because it butts up against it and then runs down and then comes yep. up on the other side. So the best time to transplant it, I would probably it you know it's really tough stuff, so probably I would do it in the fall. But uh, you could probably do it in the spring, either one. Okay. Mikey, thank thank you very much. Certainly. Okay. Bye. And let's see if we can get another call in. Let's go to another Mike Shard. Hi, Mike. Hey, Mike. How are you? Good. Got a question about soil over grass. We had some concrete work done, and the concrete truck had to pull up the yard. And the contractor dumped some dirt down, and I smoothed it out a little. It's zoysia. Is that going to grow up through the dirt or not? No. <laughs> Basically, uh, and you should, you know, any kind of dirt that's just dropped on top of the ground should be mixed up with the existing soil because wherever that truck was, 
The soil underneath that is super, super compacted. So you got to right. really kind of get a rototiller and mix it in with the existing soil that was brought in. Yeah, it was pretty deep, so that's probably not going to work. I'll probably have to put something down. Zoysia only comes in sod, right? As yeah, I mean there is zoysia seed, but I've never had, never heard of anybody having success with the seed. <laughs> okay, and I probably don't need to smother the ground. I can just put some pieces down; it'll eventually spread. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks but, for the help. Yeah, I mean this is really a tough circumstance because you're yeah. not able to blend it in with the existing, and so it's just gonna it's gonna be a. Let's say you end up selling your house. No, I don't know. No, no, no. All right. I I thought that's what you would say, but uh, (laughs) sorry to hear it. Okay, thanks. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, when heavy-duty equipment comes across, like right now in our neighborhood, Spire's doing a whole lot of stuff, and they're not driving up equipment, you know, into yards and things, but they're, you know, compacting soil and doing all kinds of other things with various pieces of smaller equipment. And it's it's going to be a nightmare. Yeah, they had no choice. They had to get the cement up to the house for a porch. So. Right. I mean, um, that's you know, that's just kind of the the circumstance, and that's just kind of what you have to live with. And I'll you know, just kind of keep your fingers crossed. Yeah. All right. Hey, thanks a lot. Have a good one. And uh, let's see. That's probably going to be the last call for this uh, hour. So we do have another hour of the garden hotline. So Carol, Doug, Lucy, Marge, Holly, and Joan. You can just hang on there until after the news. And again, watering. Make sure that you don't let your you know plant material of any type, your lawn or anything else, get too dry because recovery from dehydration slash drought is very, very difficult. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Thank you, Megan. And Megan impressed me uh, during the break there. She showed me a picture, and her hair is as curly as mine. We rule with curly hair. Yes. <laughs> oh, where's my, uh, how do I do? Well, let's see. Welcome to the Garden Hotline Tip of the Trial Hour. I'll be giving it shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Ideas, questions, comments, or concerns. And by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, ups and downs for annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers. Remember, my answers, comments, and opinions are not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Alex is across the big board. He answers the phone and is producing today. So when you do call, just first name and where you're calling from. During the week, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. I come and problem solve, aesthetic solving, or whatever it happens to be. Today after the show, Kirkwood and then south to Melville. So you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number where I'll come and share 40-plus years of experience of uh, professional stuff in the outdoors. Tip of the trial is a special recognition, individual group, or situation that's made an impression on me. It's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial is, guess what? It's going to the National Garden Clubs, Inc. It's headquartered here in St. Louis. It's right on the, actually on the edge of the garden grounds. It's along Magnolia. And it's one of the nation's most recognized nonprofits and largest volunteer gardening organizations in the world. 
and they've announced the 2020 winners of the highest honor, the Award of Excellence. This award recognizes exceptional individuals, organizations, and institutions that make make significant contributions to their communities in the environment and civic responsibilities, conservation, community, community beautification, and promoting the love of gardening. And the award winners actually are William Radner, uh, Radler, sorry. He turned a hobby into hybridizing roses, and guess what he's responsible for? The whole creation of the knockout roses. So that's William Radler. And uh, then John Carr Loftus, and he's a landscape designer and author. He designed rooftops and small garden spaces in New York City for commercial and residential products projects and in his home state of Kentucky as well. And John Forte, author and garden historian at the museum in, in Massachusetts, an executive director of Bedrock Gardens in New Hampshire. So these are all three winners of the Award of Excellent Winners, and uh, that's by the National Garden Clubs, Inc. And that is a great organization. They've been around since 1929. Wow, they're older than me. But anyway, it's a great organization. They've recently renovated, let's say, the outside. I don't know if they've done it to the inside. Uh, the landscape around their, uh, you know, their building. They're on Magnolia, so they share the grounds with the Missouri Botanical Garden. So tip of the trial goes out to that wonderful organization, the National Garden Clubs, Inc. So Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. Let's see, why don't we take some calls? Let's go to Carol's yard. Hi, Carol. Yes, hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I have a question. I I've got this um, spectricide weed stop that kills nutgrass in your in your grass, but doesn't kill the weeds. Mm-hmm. I mean, doesn't kill the grass. And it did a real good job last year. But now I have nutgrass in my daylilies. Can I use that for the daylilies? Yeah, it's very specific on what it's going to go after. So if daylilies are in the same family group as lawn. So consequently, it shouldn't have any impact on your daylilies. But what I would be concerned with is temperature-wise. So read the label very carefully. Make sure that it's okay to spray it when the temperature is going to be whatever is going to happen to be, you know, that day. Because you can do some damage to all kinds of different things, even though in theory it shouldn't damage, but it can due to the temperatures. Yeah, it says to do it below 90 degrees. Right. Right. So... So I could spray it then on the on the daylilies. Right. You should be able. Work. I wouldn't do a whole bunch. I would just try it in one area to make sure and then go from there. Okay, great. Thanks for your help. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's head out to St. Charles into Doug's yard. Yes, I have a question pertaining to Roundup. Is Roundup a pre-emergent or can you spray it on existing plants? It is not a pre-emergent whatsoever. You have to spray it on existing plants. It doesn't do anything at all if the if it doesn't you know get on the foliage of whatever you're trying to kill. Okay. My other comment is if people wonder about one inch of rain, most people have a frisbee. I found that if you put a frisbee out in the yard where the sprinkler works, when the frisbee is filled with water, you've had one inch of rain. All right. right. Perfect. I usually say just put a bowl in out there, but uh, frisbee sounds cooler. <laughs> well, thanks, Doug. Greatly appreciate. And now let's head over to Holly's yard, and Holly lives in Chesterfield. Hi, Holly. 
Holly, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay, go ahead. Uh, thank you for your show. Uh, two questions. Uh, I put compost down on my yard, uh, or have been for the, about the last four years, have an absolutely gorgeous yard. Uh, question on that is, can I put it down, or does it do any good for the spring to put it down in the fall? Uh, if you aerate or something so you can get the actually compost to drop down into the holes, that would be more beneficial. Top dressing, there's nothing wrong with doing that, but uh, you just get more of a benefit if you core aerate first, and especially if you have a cool season lawn. So uh, do you have fescue or bluegrass? Uh, fescue. Okay, so then you should be fine doing it in the fall, whether you do the core aeration or not. Okay. I also have uh, 14 hollies. I've called you before. <laughs> uh, when do I trim them? They've grown out of sight because of all the rain we had in the spring. Right. And I'm not quite sure this year when to cut them because they need so much cutting. Right. Basically, I, if you can hold off, I'd wait until we come out of wintertime. That would be the ideal time to do it. So Come out of winter? Right. So, in other words, sometime in, around Valentine's Day. Oh. Because oh. we don't know what our weather's going to be like. So if you definitely don't want to prune during the heat of the summertime. But if right. you prune in the fall, and let's say you get them to the size and shape and everything you want, if we have a severe winter, you could you know, cause some major damage to what oh. the stems and everything is left, stems and foliage. Oh. Okay, so basically I should cut like in February, March? Right, exactly. Sometime okay. around Valentine's Day before before any kind of new growth begins, before the flowers open or anything. Okay, so I can freeze my butt off. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You'll okay, enjoy thank, it. thank you, Mike. Sure, my pleasure. Mm-hmm, bye-bye. And let's do one more call, and let's go to Joan. Hi, Joan. Hi, Mike. Hi. Oh, thanks for taking my call. We have a hill in the back of our yard on which we have planted Baltic ivy, and it is doing very well. It is thriving, but unfortunately, so are weeds. Now, because of my age and limited physical ability, it's really difficult for me to be getting up there and pulling weeds. Could you recommend any kind of a weed killer that will kill the weeds but leave my ivy alone because the ivy is doing so well, I don't want to harm it. Yeah, basically you've got a real tough situation because I'm assuming most of the, if the, let's say the weeds are grassy weeds, you can actually get a grass killer, which will kill the grass but won't damage anything that has a broader leaf. But if these weeds are broadleaf weeds, then you got to be very cautious because it can damage even without killing your, you know, your Baltic ivy. So that's the real, real trouble. If it's grassy, you can get a go to your favorite garden center and get a specific type of herbicide for killing grass that won't damage, you know, broadleaf plants. So it won't damage your ivy. But if they're broadleaf, then you you got real trouble. Um, a lot of it is clover. Oh, that's tough. So if it's big patches of clover, what? Yeah, what you could do is, you know, get some Roundup and uh, basically Roundup, if you get, let's say, a larger container on the nozzle, they're going to have a kind of a round disc that you can just set right on top of the plants that you want to have the Roundup to hit, and then it won't drift and get onto anything else. Okay. Okay. So I have to determine if it's a grassy weed or a broad weed. Right. And if it's clover, also what you can do is get Roundup and you can paint it right onto the clover without damaging your, you know, as long as you don't get it onto the, you know, the ivy. 
Okay. 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 You've answered my question. Thank you very much. Great. Mike Miller, KM West Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. That's pretty wild. Garage door month. I'm waiting for the back door month to come. Uh, anyway, let's head over to Lucy's yard. Hi, Lucy. I'm sorry. I've been on hold. I forgot what I Oh, I know. We have um, lavender plants. Uh-huh. And I was just wondering, do where should they be planted? How often do they bloom? Because they look kind of pathetic. <laughs> well, they bloom basically once a year. They should be in full sun all day long. They don't want a lot of fertilizer. They don't like a lot of water. They're in, you know, sort of in that herb groups or they're one of the lower care plants. But full sun is almost, you know, has to happen. Okay, and they, well, they already, so they're already done blooming for the year, correct? Pretty much. They may rebloom, but the reblooming is going to be pretty pretty minimal. Okay, that was helpful. And I just want to say, I'm not really a fan. My husband wakes me up to you every morning, and he's kind of got a man crush on you, so he couldn't make his own phone. call because he thought he'd get speechless when you answered the phone. So, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, well, thanks. Okay, Mike. Thank you. Sure. And now let's go over to Marge's yard. She lives in North County. Hi, Marge. Hi, Mike. I have a question about daylilies. We put daylilies around the backyard about 25 or so years ago, mm-hmm. and then gradually we we're taught how to pollinate and make new colors and new lily plants. Wow. And this year, for the first time, I've noticed the flower stem comes up and the buds are on top. But now there are two or three offshoots coming off that original stem, and they also have buds. And I'm wondering, have they gone rogue, or is that normal? Uh, nor- that's not really normal. Usually the you know, single stem is going to have just, some, let's say, the cluster of flowers at the top. So you've really hybridized these things, and you could give them your name and then start selling them and become rich. Yeah, because I know one of them has five offshoots after the top one, and they all have buds on it. You're kidding. No, uh uh-uh. That is a lot of flowers for a daylily. Yeah, I couldn't believe it because it's the first time I ever saw it. Right. I've never, to be honest with you, I've never seen it that I can think of. I have a chance, I'll take a picture and send it to you. Well, that sounds great. Also, I mean, there is a Daylily Society here, and you might contact them. You can go through the Missouri Botanical Garden and contact them and see what they say about it. Oh, okay. That would be great. And also, these lilies have been in years and years. I'm saying maybe like 25 years or so. Mm -hmm. And before that, we had iris in that place. And I have had iris foliage and this year two flower stems come up after all these years right and did we just miss those bulbs and they hibernated that long no basically they just kind of run out of energy as far as flowering goes usually it's about at the 10 year mark sometimes a little bit longer and there are there are people that have had them that didn't bloom for years and then they started reblooming again, but that's not going to happen for the most part. Yeah, well, we thought we took them all out before oh. we put the daylilies in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mike, thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. Mm-hmm. And now let's go over to Alan's yard. Hi, Alan. Uh, hi, Mike. Hi. Really appreciate your show. No, thank um, you. What is the most efficient way to eliminate voles, not moles, 
voles. Well, voles are very lazy, so they only use mole tunnels. So you must have some tunnels there. Generally, the voles don't do much digging. So the best thing to do is to probably use just, you know, like mouse rat traps, basically. Find out where the holes are. Usually the holes for the voles, you know, are underneath shrubs and things like that. If you find out where the holes are, then that's where they go to sleep and stuff. Then just set the rat traps with some, you know, cheese slash peanut butter, you know, on there, and then try to get them that way. Yeah, because what they do is leave those bicycle tracks in the ground. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, one other question. What is the phone number to uh, arrange a visit? Uh, you can just go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, on the home page, that'll have my phone number and email address. Okay, thank you much. Yep, and let's see if we can get another call in. Yes, we can, and let's go to Joanne's yard. Hi, Joanne. Hi, Mike. Thanks for your service. Uh, I would like to know, I have a magnolia tree that's probably been in the ground maybe three years, and it's got a a lot of the branches that are down towards the bottom. Mm -hmm. When can I trim those off? Uh, you can you really do it anytime now. Do they have, I would say leave them on and do the pruning next year after they finish flowering. So that way you can have the maximum amount of flowers that you possibly could. Okay. Could I, could I prune them? They're flowering right now quite a bit. Oh, so they're summer bloomers. So yeah. I would wait until they finish flowering and then go ahead and prune them at that time. And then should I put that tar stuff on No, that, that doesn't do a thing. That's hard. Oh, it doesn't do a thing. Okay. No. All right. In the days oh, well, thank of, well, you so much. I'll wait till the, 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 it's just beautiful. They must have about ten flowers on it right now. Wow, so, great. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Well, thank you. Sure. Have a good day. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, the pruning sealers and all that other stuff. Days of old had lead in it, which they had to take out because of you know environmental problems. But uh, for the most part, it doesn't do anything. If you don't like looking at a raw wound, uh, what you want to do is just take a, your finger, push it down in some dirt, and just cover it up that way. But also, don't leave a big stub, you know, if you're cutting off on your magnolia. You only want to leave about a quarter to a half-inch stub, whatever you're, the largest, if you're cutting off the trunk or a larger branch or something else. You don't want a big stub sticking out. And let's go out to Mike's yard and Baldwin. Hi, Mike. Double knockout roses that are really blooming well this year. But there's some sort of bug attacking them. It's eating the leaves, uh, and I sprayed them with this rose. Um, you mix up this stuff from, uh, I think it's bear. And I sprayed with that, and it seemed to take care of it for a minute. But now they're back again. I'm I'm wondering what, and I got black spots all over the stems. What, what, what what's the problem there? That sounds like fungus. And as far as the black spots, if you're going to spray an insecticide, for the most part, the insecticides that you spray on the plants are have to basically hit contact, have contact with the bug, or it doesn't do any good. What you can do is get a systemic type you know, insecticide. So in other words, you mix it in water, pour it around the root system, it goes up through the plant, and then will kill, you know, the the insect as it eats on anything. So, but other oh, than I that, see. the insecticides, you know, got to actually hit, hit, you know, contact the bug or it doesn't do a bit of good. Oh, okay. Now, other question. I, I got a bunch of mulch around there. Should I remove that? This is red mulch I bought from Lowe's or whatever, and uh, maybe I've got it maybe three inches thick and, uh, do you think that could be a problem as well? No, that's not going to cause a problem for your plants for the most part. I wouldn't necessarily have personally have it right up next to the roses, the stems coming up out of the ground. But other right. than that, three inches is not an ex- exorbitant amount. 
Okay. All right. Thank you, sir. Yep. So, you know, you could have an anthracnose, but for the most part, it sounds like uh, if you've got, let's say, discolored spots on the leaves and everything else, you may not have insects at all. You may have anthracnose. So look at anthracnose on roses and see online and see how that looks. Mike Miller, K. Morris Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We've got a few lines open, so if you've got a question, concern, or comment, uh, please give us a call. And now let's head out to Afton and go into Ted's yard. Hi, Ted. Oh, Mike, how are you today? Very good. Good. Hey, I have a maple tree. It's probably about 25 years old. Uh, it's got. It's been planted in a uh, some concrete block circle rings, about a 10 foot diameter, and they're only about 10 inches high. But uh, the roots are coming across the surface. You know, oh, about a half an inch wide or whatever, and they're starting to disrupt the concrete blocks. Is there anything I can do about that to make sure I don't have to redo the concrete block? Can I cut the roots or anything, the ones that are going across the top like that? You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't cut the roots because, I mean, those roots on the surface are for lots of different reasons, but the main thing their importance is those are where the feeder roots are. So not the ones that you're seeing, but at the end of those roots, that's where the feeders are. So there's not too much you can really do, to be honest with you. You start cutting the roots then you're starting to mess up, let's say, the equal amount of above-ground growth and below-ground growth, and that could lead to sort of a decline of the tree. Okay, so just move the blocks then, if anything, huh? Right, exactly. <laughs> okay, well. Ta- maybe even take them out entirely. I don't know if you have a ground cover in the, uh, you know, inside the blocks going up to the trunk, but maybe just think about taking the blocks out and just you know, put a ground cover around it. And just realize okay. that surface rooting is just something that's going to happen, especially in this region with, in theory, our clay soils. But okay. it, it happens any place. Okay. Well, not what I wanted to hear, but <laughs> I won't touch it then. Thank you very much for your help. Sure. And let's go from Afton northward to Ferguson into Rick's yard. Hi, Rick. Hi, <clears throat> Hi Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, a little while ago you had a call from a lady that was complaining about having uh, weeds and, and clover growing up through her ivy. Right. And um, uh, we've talked about this before on your show that that tricloper ester uh, is purported to treat broadleaf weeds, including uh, including clover. And uh, I've not used it, but that's what the information on the website says. Uh, so uh, that's just a little bit of information there. You can she can go to domyown.com. And there's all kinds of information there about that. Right. and But that product's a little difficult to, you know, find and to get, and it's very expensive, too. Okay. So, but thanks for the insight. Greatly appreciate sure it. Thanks. Bye. Sure. And now let's head over to Nancy's yard. Hi, Nancy. Hello. Hi. Hi. We recently purchased some land um, in the Belleville area, and we're looking to put in apple trees. So I just like some suggestions on bare root versus a potted, and where's the best place to get them, and can I put them in this fall? Uh, this fall, you could certainly plant them. Uh, bare root, you know, I wouldn't do bare root in the fall though. I do bare root in the springtime. And okay. uh, as far as variety wise, you know which varieties you want. Um, I was going to do a mixture, like probably do six to eight trees. Okay, I would. You know, you could even just go. If you want success, maybe check out Eckert's and see what kind of apple trees they're growing and grow those varieties. 
Oh, okay. That's a good idea. But basically, uh, yeah, Bear Root is springtime, and uh, I don't even know if they're going to be available in the fall. So it'd be potted ones if you're trying to get them in the ground this fall. Okay. Thanks a lot. That's what I needed to know. Sure. I appreciate it. Yeah. All righty. I mean, you can't beat oh. Eckert's as far as uh, fruit production. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. Great area. And now let's go to Crestwood into Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hi. I have um, nutsedge in my flower beds. What can I do to get just the nutsedge out? There's several products by several companies that are just nutsedge killers that won't damage other plant material. So you can go to your favorite garden center, tell them you have nutsedge, and see what kind of product they have that's, you know, like sedge ender, sedge killer, whatever it happens to be. Okay, and then I can just spray it just on that because it will kill the flowers, right? Yeah, it won't kill anything but nut sedge. Okay, thank you. Certainly, my pleasure. And now let's go to Dennis's yard. Hi, Dennis. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Greetings from O'Fallon, Illinois, the All other right. Illinois. I've got a, uh, a property line 50 feet wide in my backyard. Um, that property line has got a fence that sits five feet inside from my property line. The outside area of my fence is a swell. It's a berm, if you will. It's a mound. It's about a, maybe a 30-degree slope, if you will. I have trouble cutting that because the lawnmower banging into the fence at the end at the foot of the, of the fence or the handlebars banging into it. I want to give up all that uh, grass and convert it to something that's going to be uh, – no maintenance, uh, does not encroach on neighbors, and prevents erosion. What say, <laughs> doctor? Uh, basically, now this will be somewhat invasive, but it's not horribly invasive. But I look at the, a type of liriope or monkey grass or lily turf, but get the spicata variety. L-I-R-I-O-P-E and then spicata, S-P-I-C-A-T-A. It's, uh, I'm sorry, Mike. you gotta, you got to do that again for me. I'm sorry. Say it again. It's <laughs> L-I-R-I-O-P-E, liriope, and then you want the spreading type, which is, is its species is spicata, S-P-I-C-A-T-A. Great. And you, you can buy it in flats. It's, it's tough. It's durable. It can hold the slopes. It's a variety of plant that they use in the botanical garden, in the Japanese garden, to, to maintain stability on the slopes around the Japanese garden. Does it require maintenance? Does it have to be watered and so on and so forth? Well, initially, the first, you know, until it's established for the first two years, yes. After that, okay. no. All right. And do I do I go ahead and scrub, scrub the grass? Do I uh, uh, take the grass out or do I just plant into that? If you plant in it, into it, it's going to be problematic because the, the grass could get taller than what this is going to be. So, and they both have narrow blades, so you can't put a grass killer on it because it's going to, you know, affect your liriope. So rather than trying to do this all at once, I do sections at a time. Kill off the area right before you plant. You can get this plant in five, you know, in three and three inch pots. You can get it in flats. You can get it in one gallon pots as well. And um, just depends upon how fast you want to you it to fill in. That's how close you put the plants together. Perfect. And when you say kill off the grass, can I spray it or do I need to dig, dig it up? Uh, no, no. You can just I... you can just spray it. And, and that won't uh, and fertilize the uh, the ground then for the no generally plant. okay for the most part herbicides do not have a residual effect into the ground. Good, easy job, nothing <laughs> to it, right? <laughs> right, <laughs> Mike, you're my man. Thanks so much. Have a good day. Well, thank you. 
And it's a lucky thing all the gyms are closed. Now you can build up your you know biceps with all this work you're going to be doing. Because 50 feet is you know quite a quite a distance. Mike Miller, KM Oaks Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Let's head out to Ron's yard. Hi, Ron. Hey, Mike. Hi. How you doing? Good. Good. Two quick questions. Um, when I when I play golf on a hot summer afternoon, you see the grounds crew out there periodically watering down the greens, and I was always assuming that was to cool things down. It, is that same concept okay for our flowers and shrubs and things like that? Well, to be honest with you, I usually work in the yard after I go to, for my walk and talks. So the majority of my watering I do kind of in the heat of the day. So, uh, uh-huh. I mean, uh, in my, all my stuff looks pretty good, let's put it that way. Okay. Okay. And then my second question, uh, our knockout roses have gone through their first flowering stage, and I've, I've cut the you know, the dead flowers off. Right. Uh, and now they're starting to go through their growth stage. Is that what I do, just cut the flowers off, or do I actually cut the, the shrubs back? You don't have to cut the shrubs back, but you got to go a little bit below where, let's say, the actual flowers were or flower was. So, in other words, go down to the like a leaflet that has five leaves on it and cut it at that point and cut it at a 45-degree angle. And I'm assuming you're using some rose food on them as well. Okay, yes, so then this right this would be the time when you've you've cut them, you're starting to see some maybe new growth occurring. This is the time yeah. to feed them again. Okay, great. Thanks, Mike. Yep. And speaking of, you know, let's say knockout roses, I was at a home, what they didn't have knockout roses. She had carpet roses, but she had a circumstance where the carpet roses had rose rosette. And it was, it was devastating because these were in a very important place, and she probably had like about nine or so, and only about three or four of them were infected right at that moment with the uh, rose rosette. But I said, these are, you know, and I told her to look down here real close. You could see the spider webs there, so from the spider mites, not from regular spiders. And the spider mites are what spreads the rose rosette. And once a rose has the rose rosette inside of its interior and veins and everything else, that rose has got to be a goner. So I had to tell her that uh, I'm sorry, all should be pulled out. And especially from the standpoint, she had a neighbor just across the way that had some roses that weren't showing any signs of it yet. I say, not only are you going to get rid of them, you know, from the standpoint that they're going to all go downhill and look really creepy and ugly, but also you're doing it to the advantage of your neighbor as well. Then once you take out those roses, you can put new roses back in there. You just don't, because some people think it's related to soil or anything else. No, it's really interior in the roses. So now let's head out to, uh, oh, Washington, Missouri, and go into Matchyard. Hi, Matt. Good morning. Hi. Hey, I I uh, have a, uh, I think it's a red oak. We were at the Botanical Garden at Shaw's last fall, and they allowed us to pick up some acorns, and I planted them. And I've got, I think it's a red oak. It's about two foot tall in a pot. Mm-hmm. But when do I plant that in the yard? Uh, you can do it in the fall. I would say just okay. leave, you know, leave it alone. Or you can grow it a couple years in the pot if you'd like. Cause okay. You, it's really up to you. 
But if you're going to grow it in the pot, probably for wintertime, I dig, you know, I dig a hole and then just drop the pot down into a hole. Okay, and put it in a bigger pot maybe for next year because no. it's in about a 12 incher and that yeah that should be adequate for a couple years okay. to be honest with you. All right, perfect. Thank you. Yep, my pleasure. That was nice. You got some uh, botanical <laughs> botanical garden trees, and let's head over to Edwardsville and go into Jeff's yard. Hi, Jeff. Uh, yes, Mike. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, uh, I've got a couple questions here. First of all, um, I buy some sod from Brockmeyer Sod Farm, and they said do not water your grass in the heat of the day. I mean, maybe cool it off with a little thing, but always water grass that uh, she said for new sod, start maybe 5 or 6 o'clock in the evening when the sun is going down, and then uh, on a sprinkler system in the middle of the night, but never in the daytime. And I'd like to know what is the proper time to um, – perhaps mow the grass? Do I, do I mow the grass in the morning when it's wet, or do I wait for it to dry off and mow in the uh, afternoons? And my final question is, we've done a great job with hummingbirds over the years, but this year we only have, we've got a great setup for a lot of hummingbirds, but we have basically two hummingbirds, and one of them is a bully, and this one male just runs everybody else off, and consequently, we have no hummingbirds this year other than the one male and maybe a stray that shows up. So maybe your listening audience could give us some hints on what to, what to do. To, we've, had as many as, we've had as many as 12 hummingbirds in the past, and this year it's just two. <laughs> and we don't understand what we're doing wrong. We've got multiple uh, places for them, for them to feed and everything. So maybe your listening audience can help us out. I enjoy your show. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, and in relationship to watering your lawn, you know, I, personally, I don't, you know, like I said, because of my situation and everything else, I have to water in the heat of the day. It's not the, you know, the let's say the ideal time. But per, I don't like to water going into nighttime myself because that sets up a scenario with fungus problems. And especially if you have bluegrass and things like that. But you spoke to the people at a side farm. Obviously, they know what they're doing. And uh, I, I'm assuming that they water at nighttime for their own side farm. And, uh, yeah, with a hummingbird bully, that's a tough one. I've never really known that because usually they're only migratory. They're only coming through for a period of time, and then they move on heading north this time of year. So that's really surprising this one's hanging around. And as as far as you know, I guess he really likes your uh, mixture, your formula. It's uh, the best wine he's ever had. But and also cutting your grass if it's wet. Sometimes if it's too damp, it could be problematic from that standpoint that it just kind of sticks on the inside of your your mower, whether it's in the bag okay. or anything else. Okay, thank you. Yep, and Barb, if you can do it quickly, we can get you in today. Yes. Uh, do you deadhead verbena? Verbena, you don't have to, but it you know certainly would help just overall from an aesthetic standpoint. Do you deadhead drift roses? Uh, any kind of roses, yes, definitely. Okay, okay. Uh, basically, things need to be deadheaded after they bloom if you're going to get more out of them. Right, and even if they don't, let's say you know the verbena generally doesn't you know i mean it should re those blooms last for a long long time and if you don't cut them off then what you're looking at is just icky stuff 
So by cutting it off, it's more of an aesthetic deal than it is actually helping, let's say, the plant, let's say, rebloom. Certain certain plants definitely have to be, re, you know, have to be deadheaded to trigger the next, let's say, generation of flowering, like with the roses. But uh, okay. for, you know, the verbenas, they don't have to, but it just looks a lot better if you do. Okay. Thank you. Yep, my pleasure. And everybody, it's, that's going to be our last caller of the day. So I appreciate everybody that calls in. And a tip of the trial to everybody. I mean, this has been a very, very difficult circumstance as far as garden center-wise and everything else. And they're still having some trouble with, uh, not, I shouldn't say trouble, just making it a little bit difficult, you know, to get into, let's say, the garden centers other than the big box stores. And, the you know, t- take care of your local garden center because they're local they have, I mean, very knowledgeable staff, nothing against the big box stores. But, uh, I mean, I just, I drive by some of them and they've got everything kind of, let's say, ribboned off some of them. And as a result, it makes it somewhat difficult to get there. You can still do some planting this time of year, but it's just, it's really tough. If you're going to do any kind of planting, it would be, you know, kind of the annual circumstance or elephant ears or can of bulbs or things along that line. Uh, any kind of woody plant material, I would not plant in this going into summertime. And I'm going to emphasize this again: watering. You know, watering even if they're predicting rain is very, very good because it softens, opens up all the ground. So when it does rain, it you know gets deeper into the soil, and it's got to get down there to keep the root systems looking really good. So everybody have a good day and happy not birthday, not yet. Not the 4th of July. Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.